and I love you guys. Uh, and that's not just the right thing to say, it's the truth. Uh, and it's very special to be here. I, you, this was the first baptism in this building, is that right? So, I mean, what a privilege to be actually the guy that gets the microphone in a day like that. Uh, so, I am going to talk about baptism from a very, not an a, unusual way historically, but for our modern day, we oftentimes don't hit it this deep. And so, I want to note, and if any of you have ever gone through our discipleship training, you'll recognize some of the things that I'm doing. In fact, Phil, could you come up here for a second? I need to give you something, and then you can... Uh, All right, you guys didn't see that, all right? I saw John trying to take peeks. You didn't see anything. All right, so uh, unfortunately, I don't have a clicker up here, so uh, Tyrone will have to forward it, and we're having a, my, my connection with this screen is very delicate, so <laughs> it may go out, and I just may take my computer up here. But uh, position, position, position. If you're a realtor, uh, it's location, location, location. If you're a Christian, it's position, position, position. So you'll hear me if you listen to my sermons. I ask my audience often, what's your position? And they'll yell back, in Christ! And what's interesting is most Christians don't know their position. They may be in Christ because we are in Christ by faith. And so when we believe upon Jesus Christ, we actually enter into a position. There's a big difference between being in and being out. And there's a big difference between in and being on. And being is of the utmost importance. Okay, so let's discuss that in the very beginning because that makes a huge difference when it comes to baptism. Baptism is an issue of in. The word baptizo means to be put in or immersed in something. It's like a complete uh, envelopment. And so when we are going to say baptism, why is Abe doing this? And I know there's others that are participating in this today, but what is going on is an outward declaration of an inward reality. Something has taken place in Abe's life and those that are being baptized today that they want to declare. And it's sort of like taking clay and sticking it in a kiln. What's the difference between clay that's molded by the potter's hand and that which has been fired in the kiln? Well, one is, it's the same shape, right? Same belief, but now it's firmed up. There's something about a public testimony, a public witness of this reality of being in Christ Jesus that is of the utmost importance. And so that's why we celebrate it. It's an amazing thing that we do in the church. But we are not saved by going in and out of water. We're saved by entering into Christ. The Greek picture for baptizo, it's sort of a funny one, is uh, a cucumber being placed in vinegar for 40 days. And what happens? It becomes a new food. We, it becomes a pickle. The word pickle is just a funny word. But that's sort of like us. We're Christians. We're pickles, okay? We have entered into Christ by faith, and we are saturated, immersed. We don't jump back out. We remain. And so when we remain, we are changed. We are new creatures or new food in Christ Jesus. And so position, position, position. All right, Tyrone, could you give me the next slide? I have a ton of slides that I'm going to be clicking through. So uh, in Christ is, is the term. Let's go to the next one. Usually I'll just be able to control this, so you'll hear a lot of next slide, next slide. Sorry to do that to you. So clothing, armor, strong tower, airplane. These are just some of my favorites that I picked out just for you guys. So hand-selected them for you guys of favorite illustrations of in. You see, clothing is, is sort of a humorous one more than anything, but God is going to liken Christ Jesus to clothing. In Isaiah 61, you're going to see it's called the garments of salvation or a robe of righteousness. You see in Ephesians 6 that it's called armor, okay, that there's something that we are to put on. And so as a result, clothing is Part of what the illustration is, we're supposed to put off the old man and put on the new. Clothing, everything about clothing, if I was going to give you a secret to wearing clothes, you get inside them, okay? You could have the best clothing collection, but if you're not inside your clothes, we have awkward. So if my clothes are on the other side of the stage and I'm standing over here, first of all, we have a very difficult moment in this church. You guys are like, Eric, we love having you, but, you know, could we talk? Okay, this isn't the way we, we intended this to all play out. You see, clothes are meant to be entered inside of. Now, imagine that I got sort of frustrated with you guys. Like, what's wrong? What, I have clothes. They're right there. He's like, well, Eric, you know, that's just not the way you're supposed to interact with your clothes. So I go over and I step on top of my clothes. And I go, are you satisfied? 
What's funny is you would not be satisfied. You see, there's a difference between being near, being on, and being in. And clothing is a great illustration of that. You see, clothing has something to give to you and me. And that something is only realized when we enter inside of it. Isn't that just a fascinating thought? All right, armor is the same thing. I could have my armor sitting off to the side and the, and the enemy's coming and shooting arrows at me. And I'm like, why God? Why do I keep getting hit with fiery arrows? Well, it's because your armor needs to actually be worn. You're supposed to put it on. And when you wear the armor, it is able to give to you its virtue and its strength. You see, armor has virtue and strength, but you are not participating and sharing in its power and its gusto when it's over there and you're near it. Strong tower. So let's imagine that, I mean, because God is our strong tower. Jesus Christ, very specifically, is the strong tower. And so we are going to enter, the key to a strong tower is entering into it. Okay, now imagine I'm on the outside of the tower. We're going to shrink down our tower and I'm hugging it, right? Now, I, I love this tower. And I sing a song to it. I even kiss it. However, the enemy is in the bushes and he's shooting arrows at me. And it's strange, but he keeps hitting me. And I'm like, ouch, ow. And you could say, Eric, there's a solution to this. It's, it's funny. It's, we all see what the solution is. The door is unlocked. And it even has a sticky note that says, Ludi, psst, get inside. You see, when you are inside that tower, do you fear a fire arrow? Why would you fear a fiery arrow? Just like right now, we're not afraid of a windstorm or a cold weather when we're inside. You see, when we are in, we have a shield that protects us, and as a result, it melts away fear of certain ridiculous things like fiery arrows. What would we care about the enemy's agenda for our life and what he's going to try and do to take us down? You're in Christ. Therefore, you're in the strong tower. Okay, one of my favorite illustrations, even though it's not in the Bible, if the Bible was written a little later, it probably would have made it in because this is really good. Okay, now many of us are familiar with the law of gravity, right? You know, you, I hold something up here, I drop it, and it's just gonna, it's gonna go down. There's, there's a law about those sorts of things. And you see, that's just the way it works. So imagine that the Bible said something similar to, you need to jump from, where are we? Greeley, Colorado, to London, England. Okay, now most of you might try it too. That's what's funny. We'll go out and we'll actually get a running start and we'll try. And we need to realize that actually what we are being called to do is impossible. And until we realize that it's impossible, we don't recognize the power of salvation. So God has to come bring us to the end of ourselves. And many of us have tried that jump. Isn't that funny? How many of us have actually gritted our teeth and said, God, I'll do this for you. And we've tried to be righteous. We've tried to be holy. We've tried to be perfect as he is perfect. But there's a secret to that. And so with an airplane, it is interesting because with the law of gravity, there is a higher law. And it's called the law of aerodynamics. And it's actually higher than the law of gravity. And an airplane functions by that higher law. And if you were to just sit back when all you've known in your life is the power of gravity and the law of gravity, and you were to see an airplane, you'd be in shock. It's like, that's impossible. Yeah, it's impossible unless you're functioning after the higher law. So imagine that Jesus is the airplane, okay? Just use your imagination here that Jesus is an airplane, okay? And we're not. And so we come to the airport and we're staring out through the glass windows and, we'll, and everyone's like, watch, watch this. Look at what, Je Jesus, look at, you're amazing. You're incredible, Jesus. And we can sing a song about it and we can memorize all sorts of data about him as a plane and how he flew and he did this amazing stuff. And yet we're just watching. It doesn't change us. The key to Christianity is that you must engage with that plane in a very specific way. So I'll give you some options. Imagine one of us is in the airport and we're like, you know, guys, I'm sick and tired of us just watching it. According to the scriptures, we're supposed to be flying too. So some of us are like, I'm going out there. And we run out there onto the uh, tarmac and the plane starts going and we run next to it and we're flapping our arms and we're doing our best. We're inspired, right? I mean, we see it, but we can't fly. You know, the, the plane gets in front of us and the exhaust starts, you know, you know hitting us and we fall over on the tarmac right there. I mean, we're not getting anywhere. So some, one of you gets the bright idea. It's like, okay, I know what, I know how to solve this. And so you climb up on top of the plane and you're hanging on for dear life and it's going, you're like, ah, I got it. And, and you're zooming along and then it starts to take off. See, the law of gravity is still in effect for all those on the outside of the plane. And you start to feel this downward push. It's getting cold really quick and the wind is blowing hard and you start to slide. <laughs> and pretty soon you land on the ground. 
we can't do this. You know, the gospel could be summarized this way. We can't, but he can. Isn't that an amazing thought? We can't, but we want to argue that point. I think I can, God. Just give me another shot at this thing. How many of us have pledged to God our obedience, our righteousness? We will do this for you. And God, I'm sure that it means something at some level for him to hear us desire to do these things. But he also loves us too much to allow us to just, uh, you know, twirl in circles down here and get nowhere. God is interested in getting us to fly. Isn't it amazing? The Bible might as well, when it's saying, be righteous, be perfect, be holy, it might as well be saying, fly from Greeley, Colorado to London, England. We can't do it, but we are commanded to. You see, God has not left us to our own ability to pull this off. He has supplied us with the remedy. And that remedy, that plane, as we were describing it, is a passenger vehicle. And so if you look at the door, it has a note on it that says, Psst, hey, you, get inside. And when you get inside of a plane, just ponder this for a second. When you get inside of a plane, you don't need to hold up the ceiling of the plane and try and get it to fly. You don't need to flap your arms when you're in a plane to get it to fly. What do you need to do? You need to trust that the plane is able to do for you what you could never do for yourself. And when you remain and abide in that plane, what is going to happen? Where the plane goes, you go. The way the plane behaves, you're sharing in his behavior. And though you can't in and of yourself fly, when you trust in that plane, you fly. There, there I am. I'm actually over the Atlantic Ocean right now doing something that Eric Ludy cannot do, but in Christ I am able to. Welcome to Christianity, folks. So next slide. Off with the old and on with the new. So when I teach, I'm always going to divide up the ideas of Christianity into twos. So, and I don't know if people get really uh, frustrated with me because I'm always doing it too. There's a first and there's a second. Okay, all throughout the Bible. Even look at the Bible. Old, new. Okay, you have an Old Testament, you have a New Testament. But all throughout the Bible, you have a first and a second. Look at how Paul is going to talk in the, in the New Testament. He's going to say, there's a flesh and there's spirit. You can live one of two ways. You have an Adam, and then you have a last Adam, or a second man. You have a first man and a second man. Jesus, at the end, is going to divide up sheep and goats. He's going to put the sheep on his right, and on the left, he's going to put the goats. He's going to divide wheat from tares. There's f ten virgins, five without the oil, five with the oil. You go through the entire Bible, and you're going to see this tapestry. It's amazing. Cain, Abel. There's two. Now, there were more children. We know that, because there's a whole bunch of people on the earth, right? But two are pulled out, and they both offer something. Which one does God accept? The offering of the second. He rejects the offering of the first. The first cannot satisfy him. Ishmael, Isaac, two sons. One is rejected. The second is the one that God accepts. Esau and Jacob, they're both twins within the womb. Esau is going to be rejected. Jacob, who will be known as Israel, is accepted. First king of Israel, Saul. Second king, David, a man after his own heart. Follow? Okay, so first, second. All of us are born in a rotten state. Something is wrong with us. We are controlled by the flesh. We are dead even though we live. Something is off. We must be born again. We must be twice born. You see, we could either remain in Adam, wearing Adam, and go where Adam goes. Remember the plane? You could go where Adam goes. It's not, not going to be good. Or you could put off Adam and put on Christ and go where Christ goes. All right, next slide. Colossians 2 says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom you also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Next slide. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead, and you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened, which means to make alive, together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now, at the end of my message, if we were to go back through this and just start breaking down this scripture, it would just, your mind would just get so excited. 
because everything I'm going to teach is going to unpack this, even though we may not even return, because the whole New Testament unpacks this. Okay, next, uh, next slide. Ephesians 4.22. That you put off concerning the former conversations, the old man, put off the first, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Next slide. Lie not to one another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. You see, his clothing language. You're putting off something so that you could put on something. Next slide. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Okay, now the concept of baptism can trip some of us because many of us could look at that and say, well, I need to be baptized to be in Christ. Actually, the concept here is that you need to believe and therefore enter in and be put into Christ by faith and therefore, if anyone has been put into Christ by faith, they are in Christ. The way we symbolize that in the church is through what we would call formal baptism, or going in and out of water, right? So as a result, it's not the water that saves, it's the faith in Christ that actually baptizes us in Christ. Abe and company, sorry, I don't know all the names of those that are going to be baptized today, are making a declaration saying, I have believed on Jesus, I am in Christ. And then they symbolize that in and through the going in and out of water. Next slide. But put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Next slide. I will greatly rejoice. This is the scripture that Jesus is going to speak in his hometown of Nazareth to declare that he is in fact the Messiah. So this is a good messianic uh, pa passage here. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, my soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. That's literally a declaration of baptism in the Old Testament. It is a response to this Messiah, as is going to be revealed in the very beginnings of Isaiah 61. And this is like the church, the believers responding, saying, whoa, I will greatly rejoice in this position in Christ. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Next slide. Fact, faith, and experience. So we're going to have, you know, I always put the bad things over here on the left side. Sorry to do that. has nothing to do with you guys over here, okay? And you guys can't brag that you just happen to be on the, this side. Okay, so we have, I'm going to put fact over here and then faith and then experience. Okay, this is an illustration I give. I didn't come up with this illustration. This has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years in Christianity to help enunciate something very, very important. And that is, there are three characters, and they're each called to do the impossible. And the first character's name is fact, the second character's name is faith, and the third character's name is experience. They're called to walk the ridgepole of a barn. I know some of you are like, I can do that. That's not impossible. This is a razor's edge. Just trust me that it's impossible, okay? The first character that comes out, his name is Fact. And what's strange is Fact walks it. Now, in Christianity, we don't use the term Fact. That's not a normal term for us. We use the word truth. You know that it's the same thing, except for truth is a person. Fact is just data. But did you know that the truth of the gospel is Fact? It is without lie, without exaggeration. It is fact. And Jesus is the fact. He is the truth. He just happens to be a person, right? So he gets out there and pulls off the impossible. How could he do that? I thought it was impossible. Well, with man, all, man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. God came to this earth and did it. Now here, second character is actually you, faith. Faith has to make a decision of what it's going to focus on, what it's going to believe in. When faith fixes its gaze on fact and follows. Did you know that faith actually gains balance and begins to walk out the impossible life? Whoa! And life would be so easy if there were only two characters. But there's a third character. Experience is the name of it in this story. And experience is a loudmouth. Now there's another name for it. How about this? Emotion and feelings. You see, when you turn as faith and you don't follow fact and you feel, well, I don't feel like that's true. Or my experience, remember when you prayed 10 years ago and so-and-so died even though you prayed for them? You have this experience that calls to you. The word of God is clear. Faith sees it, but then hears the calling of experience. Here's the feelings behind. And experience is clawing at the shirt sleeve of faith. Where faith turns will define the success of faith or the failure of it. And so many of us, we live in an entire generation that tries to define truth by what we feel and what we've experienced. That isn't how truth is defined. Truth defines itself. It is fact. 
God said it. That's enough for us. So does God care about our experience and our emotions? Yeah, he does. But they're not supposed to lead us. You see, when faith follows fact, faith gains balance. Now watch this. This is incredible. If you catch this, it could change your life. And when faith ignores its experience, ignores its emotion, and believes, then what happens is experience and emotion begin to gain balance as you do not become subservient to them. When you become subservient to them, you lose balance, fall off the ridge pole, and land in that manure pile at the bottom of the bar. Remember that one many of us have spent time in. That isn't where God intended us to spend our life, staring up at this high lofty calling up there on the top of the roof, going, oh yeah, well, um, thank you, Jesus, for walking it for me, which is a statement that is not a bad statement. However, you're supposed to be in him. You're supposed to be trusting his word, which gives you a supernatural enablement to do something that no human could possibly do outside of God. Next slide. Reasoning like a Christian. So I'm going to go through this as quick as I can. Okay, these are five facts or the basics, basis of childlike faith. Next slide. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Go, keep going. I'm going to have you go forward. So I, I'm going to skip a few things. Sorry to do this to you guys. Any, go, keep going. Next, 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 next. Okay, go back one. All right, let's rest there. Okay, so this is the five that I'm going to go through. Now, I'm going to do this a little faster than I would like, but I, I don't think I'm going to rob you so severely that you'll, you'll be lost the rest of the time. You see, when I sit down with someone for biblical counseling, and they're staring there like, Eric, I need some footing underneath me. I'm, I'm really in a fog bank. This is what I'm going to ask them. I'm going to ask them some very specific things. You see, for faith to be established and even clear, you need to believe that he is. You're like, he is? I've asked people that. Do you believe that he is? He is what? <laughs> what, what? What do you mean by he is? Well, you do know what that means, don't you? God says that I am that I am. That's a God statement. I, I don't say it that way. When I talk about God, I say he is. However, it's not just that God is. It's that Jesus is. Jesus is God. And unless you believe that Jesus is, and you don't need to put anything after that statement, Jesus is. That means he was the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is God Almighty. If you don't know that, your faith is not going to be established. You see, this is the key. You must believe that he is. But there's a second part to that statement in Hebrews, and that is that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So when I'm talking with someone, I'm going to ask him that. Do you know that he is? And it's amazing. But when the Spirit of God awakens and works within the soul of a believer, they know that he is. And they also know that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, which is the equivalent of saying, he is inclined towards my benefit. So if I go after him, I'm going to find him. You need to know that. If you're going to go after God, you need to know his nature. When I was young and in, I don't know, this is a junior high thing. Some of you are going to remember these days. And we had this one thing that we would do. We'd stick out our hand for a handshake, and then someone would reach out to grab our hand, and we'd go, psych, and then we'd run our hand through our hair. So you're just looking at me like, that's ridiculous. Yeah, but when we did it, we were really cool back then. God does not do that. He doesn't psych us. He doesn't stick out his hand and say, hey, hey, I could save you. And then we're like, oh, could you? And then we reach out and he goes, psych. That isn't how God works. God is not capricious. So therefore, when he speaks, he will not change. Remember, he is. And he is inclined towards our benefits. So the chief attribute that you need to know about him is he is in your favor. He wants you. And he wants to save. And when you know that, boy, that really helps when you're coming to God. God cannot lie. I've asked people this quite a bit. Do you believe that God can lie? And here, here's one answer that I received. Of course. Because God can do anything he wants. Doesn't that sound so nice, so generous to think of God in that light, that he can do anything he wants? Do you know that there are things that God cannot do? I'm going to, you know, it sounds terrible, right? God cannot change. God cannot be anything other than who he is. He cannot sin. So therefore, if God is, he cannot be what he is not. Isn't that profound? If God is, he cannot be that which he is not. And he is truth. Therefore, he cannot be lie. You know how important that is in your Christian life? The word of God is the word of God. So these are the reasoning points of a Christian. So when, the facts over here, if I had a pedestal, I could stick the Bible up here. But the Bible comes in multiple forms. The Bible in text... The word of God in text is the Bible. The word of God in person, Jesus. The word of God in action, the cross. 
You see, what do we believe? We believe that that's the truth. We believe that that is the expression of God to us, that God humbled himself to reveal himself to us through his word and text, through his word in person, and through his action on the cross. We see the full manifestation of who he is, what he desires us to know. So, now let's put these all together. I call this the full Nelson, which is an illegal wrestling move, but we're going to stick you in it. He is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, and he cannot lie. The word of God is the word of God. Therefore, if the word of God is God's word, it's going to reveal who he is. And what do we know about him? He will not change, and he cannot lie. Therefore, when you know the facts, and you know that God is, God has given us his word, and it's not going to change, and when you build your life upon it, it will not shift like sand beneath you. And it cannot lie. This is how Christians work. We work by faith. But it's not faith in what we want to be true. It's what in faith, faith in what God says is true. Next slide. Well, that says it. Thy word is truth. Uh-huh. Yep, that's his word. The word of God in text is truth. The word of God in person is truth. The word of God in action, that's the truth. What do we build our life upon? What are we believing? We're believing that what that Bible says about that man and what that man did for us is everything to us, and we're willing to stake our eternity on it. Christianity. Next slide. All right, reckoning. Now, you guys didn't see uh, Pastor Phil come up here and do anything with me before it started, right? I know John took a peek, but I don't think the rest of you did. All right, so I'm going to need a volunteer, someone who doesn't have any money in their pockets, okay? All right, why don't you come up with a the black and white striped shirt? What's your name? Faith. Hi, Faith. That's a perfect name for this. Okay. So, Faith, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you have a problem. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> so imagine that there's no other doors to get out of this room, and there's, uh, the double doors are the only way out in the back. Okay? But you've had a problem in your life. Okay? You come into a room like this, you see clearly you, how you want to live your life, but then you go out those doors and you get roughed up. There's a, there's a big meanie out that in, waiting for in the lobby, sort of like a mob boss, and he, he, he keeps asking for $9. Oh, actually, I have to change that. $4. I only had a $5 bill. Uh, so he's wanting $4 from you. Do you have $4 on you? No. Oh, no, because if you don't have $4, he's going to beat you up. What's going to happen then after you, when you leave the room today? I'm going to pray real hard, and if I die, I die. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to get beat up again, guys, and her experience, remember fact, faith, and experience, what's her experience tell her? Yeah, she's going to get beat up, and what's going to happen again? It's going to reinforce her experience because she doesn't have the resource to pay off her her incredibly big debt to $4. So this is a bad situation, Faith, okay? But now, I'm going to be symbolic of God and God's word in this situation, okay? I'm not God and his word, just to clarify, right? However, I'm going to be symbolic of it. So, Faith, I've seen your need. I've seen the fact that you are shortchanged and you don't have what you need to pass this test. So what I've done is I've made provision for you, okay? See that chair over there on the far right? Uh, there's a, uh, a phone, an iPhone on it, and it's sort of a brown case. Underneath that is a $5 bill, okay? And that's yours, okay? No, hey, 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 I need to ask you a few questions. I like her moxie, though. You have to admit, that's, that, that's, that's going to take her far in life. This is, guys, let this be an example of faith to all of you. <laughs> okay, so let me ask you a question. This is very, very important. Faith do you have in your own pockets that which you need to pass the test outside that door? Nope. Now listen. But do you have that which you need to pass the test? Did you give that to me? I did. Okay, then I do, yeah. Okay, so does that, I'm going to ask the same questions again. It sounded like the same question. She answered no and then yes. Do you have in your own pockets that which you need to pass that test? No. But do you have that which you need to pass the test? Yes. How do you have that which you need to pass the test? Because you gave it to me. That's right. Now, I'm going to give you words to speak. You have it by faith. So how do you have that which you need to pass the test? I have it by faith. Faith in what? What? I'll give, I'll give, you, I'll give you some help. In your word. Okay, so, so let's ask this again. I'm going to go through it again. I want you to listen closely because this, this is, can deeply impact you if you catch it. Faith, do you have in your own pockets that which you need to pass this test? No. But do you have that which you need to pass the test? Yes. How do you have that which you need to pass the test? Because you gave it to me. You have it by? 
Faith. Faith in what? In your word. That's right. <laughs> she has it by faith in my word. She's actually $5 richer. Can you show me the $5? If you let me go get it. <laughs> <laughs> That's called obtaining the promise. However, she has it in actuality right now, though she doesn't have what we could call the crinkle of the $5 bill. You see, as Christians, we are called to reckon ourselves dead indeed unto sin and alive unto Christ. The term for reckon is what I'm introducing you to right now, which is to take something by faith because God said it and to credit your account with it by faith. She knows that she's $5 richer. You haven't even seen it. Now, Pastor Phil did do some handling of that $5, so he has a little more confidence than the rest of you. And I know John took a peek, so maybe he has a little more confidence than the rest of you. But the point being, some of you did not see it, right? Now, what's funny is even you know that there's probably going to be a $5 bill there. How much more sure are the promises of God Almighty? And if he has told us that we have what we need for this test in our life, why would we doubt? What should faith do now? Let me ask her. What are you going to do? Should you just go walking out that door right now? No, I should go get the $5. <laughs> what great faith. So why don't you start walking towards that, uh, what you say is over there. Okay, stop right there. Now, I'm going to ask you a few questions. Do you have that which you need to pass the test? Yes. In your own pockets? No. <laughs> but do you have that which you need to pass the test? Yes. How do you have it? Because you gave it to me. By faith? By faith what? in my... Faith. You have it by faith. Faith? Wait. Yes. yes. How, how do you have it? You have it by faith in what? In your word. Okay, I'm believing what you said. That's right. That you're so not you have lying. faith in my word. Yes. You believe that I'm not a liar, uh -huh. so you believe that I'm telling the truth. And you believe you're going to find $5 there, don't you? Yes. Okay? So... Now, you've walked a good distance in your life already. I mean, look at this. She went from way over here to way over here. And yet, can you show me the crinkle? Can you show me the $5? No. But you still believe it's there? Yeah. Doesn't it seem a little strange? Now, I'm going to take a different... I'm not the word of God now. I'm sort of the, the enemy, the adversary. Doesn't it seem a little strange that she is still walking? I mean, if God was who he says he is, shouldn't she already have the crinkle? Shouldn't she already have the $5? Ha, ha, ha. Oh, you're one of those. I bet God said something like, it's under my iPhone sitting on the chair. I, I bet that's what he said. I've heard that happen so many times. And guess what? They never find it. Would it be logical for faith to sit down right now and to give up and to forsake the $5? Would that even make sense? No. Not <laughs> unless I've, like, tried looking. That's right. Well, but what if it's God that said it was there? Then it's guaranteed. Yeah. You see, it's, there's not even an option that it's not there. So it doesn't make sense for her to give up just because she's walked, what, six steps? It doesn't make sense. But how many of us receive the promise of God and get excited about the promise, but then in the procurement of it, in obtaining it, we stop short because we listen to the devil? What should she do right now? She should keep going, shouldn't she? She would be insane to not go. Okay, so show us what it would look like if you kept going. All right. Okay, stop right there. This is a long journey, guys. Faith has labored and labored and labored, and yet she still doesn't have. Should she sit down? Should she give up on the $5? You see, even Eric's word could be trusted in this situation. How much more so God's word on the situation? Okay? So go and, go and get that $5. All right. So make the crinkle in the, into the microphone. Yeah. You guys hear that? It's a good old sound of what happens when you believe. Don't follow your emotion. Don't follow your feelings. Don't follow your experience. You follow the word of God. And ultimately, her experience is lining up. Her feelings are going to line up with the fact of God's word. You can keep that, by the way. Uh, <clears throat> so what we are called to do is to reckon the promises of God. So that's going to be important when we start talking about baptism, okay? So what does it mean to reckon? We just did that. Let's go to the next slide. The $5, let's go to the next slide. Reckoning ourselves in Christ. Do you know your position? Because a lot of people will say, well, I don't feel like I'm in Christ. I don't, I don't care what your feelings are on that point. God said that anyone who would turn to him and believe upon him 
and repent and just give their lives to him is in Christ. By definition, that is how you do it. So if you have believed on Jesus, guess what? I don't care if you feel it. You are in Christ. So faith, the character faith, that's funny. I have a, I have a person named faith, and then I have the concept of faith we're talking about. Faith reckoned herself $5 richer. You reckon yourself in Christ by faith. All right, next slide. Reasoning like a Christian. Okay, next slide. So when I ask what is your position, I want you to think about that. I want you to think of what that position is. Not because you feel it. I want you to base your confidence on the word of God. Anyone who will come to God, he is not withdrawing his hand and psyching you. And so if you desire salvation, you've turned to Jesus for it, guess what? You're in Christ. As you put your confidence and your faith in him, he is clothing you in a garment of salvation. So therefore, that becomes critical in understanding how the kingdom of heaven works because everything that will enable you to function as a Christian is found in Christ. Not outside of Christ, not near Christ. It is found in Christ. Therefore, you must know your position. So what is your position? Do you guys know that? Where he goes, you go. Now imagine you get in a plane and that plane is going from Greeley, Colorado to, let's say, New York City. Where would you go if you were on that plane? You'd go to New York City. Even if you wanted to go to Orlando, Florida, you're going to New York City because you're on that plane, right? What if it's going to London, England? Where would you go? You'd go to London, England. What if it's going to Seoul, South Korea? I mean, that's a long trip. Uh, you'd go to Seoul, South Korea. What if it's going to Perth, Australia? You'd go where the plane goes because you're in the plane, right? The same is true. If you're in Adam, you will go where Adam goes. If you put off Adam and you put on Christ, you go where Christ goes. That's a pretty profound statement, especially with where we're going here. And this is what baptism is all about. So where did he go? All right, next slide. I'm getting excited, guys. Oh, next slide. Two more. There you go. The way to the Father. From the cross to the grave, from the grave into the sky. Sounds like a song, doesn't it? All right, next slide. It wasn't a direct flight. You see, Jesus came to this earth. He is the ultimate passenger vehicle. And he opened up his side and he says, step on in. I want to take you home with me. He is the way to the Father. There is no other way to the Father but by Christ. And when we turn to Christ, we enter into a passenger vehicle. When we're in Adam, we go where Adam goes. But when we're in Christ, we go where Christ goes. Where did he go? He went to the cross. Isn't it a strange thing? Here we are 2,000 years later, and yet the Bible is going to teach us that we went to the cross when Christ went to the cross. Ha, ha, how did we go to the cross when Christ went to the cross? I mean, I'm 2,000 years later. Well, how did you end up in Adam? Have you ever heard the statement, my old man? Uh-huh, my old man. You know who that is? That's Adam. And your old man is not headed in the right direction. Your, your old man is headed for condemnation. And so you must put off that old man and enter into a new creature, a new man. And so there are a few layovers on the grand journey. It wasn't a direct flight. What's the next slide? The first stop is the cross. He's not going there for his own kicks and giggles. He's going there for us. He went to the cross and he needed to take us there with him. And so when we believe in Jesus, we are grafted into his working at the cross. That's why Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Yet you look up at the three uh, that are hanging on the cross that day and you're like, I don't see Paul. How, what, what, do you, what does he mean he's crucified with Christ? He identifies by faith in Christ's work. So therefore, when Christ is dying, old Paul dies. Now let's look at that. Next slide. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. Old man, new man. Have you ever tried to get rid of your old man? Oh, I hate the old man. And you try and crucify your old man. I love one of our teachers, his name is Nathan Johnson. He has a great illustration of trying to crucify the old man. He says, there's one thing that you cannot do to yourself, and that's crucifixion. There's all sorts of things you could do to yourself. You cannot crucify yourself. You get the nail in the feet. You get the nail in one arm. And you got this one flailing about here. You can't crucify yourself. You need to enter in by faith into Christ's work on the cross. And it deals with your old life. That one life you can't seem to get rid of. He gets rid of it when you turn and believe. So, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, or from here on out, we should not serve sin. Next slide. Romans 6, 3. Know you not that so many of us as were baptized, remember the concept is to be put in, 
As many of us as were put in, immersed, enveloped in Christ, how does that happen? By faith, were baptized into his death. So we are put into his death by faith. We share in his death, and it's imperative that we do. You cannot lug your old life into the heavenly realms. You need to somehow get it away from you. It's like this gluish thing, and it just sticks to you. But Christ has circumcised this, cut it off, eliminated it so that you can now be clothed in him. Next slide. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Next slide. I am crucified with Christ. What an amazing statement. Did you know that Paul is going to teach us that we too are crucified with Christ? And therefore, He's also going to say something that's going to be very important for us today, and that is reckon yourself dead indeed unto sin. Because if you now, when, when, when Paul's going to say reckon yourself dead indeed unto sin, what is your immediate thought? Well, I don't feel dead. I don't care how you feel. If we ask Faith if she felt a $5 bill in her pocket, she'd say no. However, by faith, she's going to reckon herself $5 richer. We need to pull a faith. We need to reckon ourselves dead indeed unto sin. I don't care if your old man was barking at you this morning. He's dead. He has no power. When you enter into a plane, the law of gravity is trumped. Is the law of gravity gone? No, it's still there. But you are dead to it. You are dead to the law of gravity because you have submitted unto the law of aerodynamics. And in Scripture, it's going to say the law of sin and death is what we're under. But when we submit to Christ, we enter under a higher law. It's a law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So therefore, we no longer function under the old system. We function under a higher law. There is power to do it here. So reckon the truth. Next slide. Likewise, reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. You ever done that? You ever pulled a faith? God says, I gave it to you. And you say, but I don't feel it. What does that have to do with anything? When did feeling lead the Christian life? God said it. He spoke it. His word has made it clear. You are dead indeed unto sin. Your old man is crucified. You actually are free to now serve Jesus Christ. Next slide. The second stop, where does he take us? The grave. You see, it's important that he takes us there too because he wants to bury the old life so that it's six feet under, it's no longer visible. But there's something else that happens at the grave. He is going to demonstrate his power, and he's going to raise you up to newness of life. So I was buried with him, and now my old life is no longer visible. I am resurrected unto newness of life in the resurrection of Christ. If you're in Adam, you go where Adam goes. But if you're in Christ, you go where Christ goes. Where does he go? He goes to the cross. He goes to the grave. What happens to the grave? Stone rolls away. He rises to newness of life. Who's in him? We are. What's your position? In Christ. That means you're in his death. Old man crucified. That means you're in his burial. Old man buried. That means you're in his resurrection. New man, new man alive in Christ Jesus. I don't care how you feel. I'm saying this is the facts. This is what God says. As ridiculous as it would be for faith to give up on that $5 just because she's taken seven steps and hasn't gotten it yet. It's ridiculous for us to receive the word of God from God himself to tell us this truth and say, take it as yours. Put it in your account. You're dead indeed unto sin. You're alive unto Christ. Next slide. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Next slide. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. We share in the likeness of his death. We are crucified with Christ, but we also are resurrected with Christ. Next slide. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Now, I want to give you a, a, a fun way of handling this scripture that will help you, okay? There's two. There's a capital I-U and there's a lowercase I-U. You see, it's not that you get abolished when you come to Christ. You disappear, and now you're watching your life from the distance. It's like, oh, what, what am I doing now? You see, it's the capital version of yourself, a capital I. Richard Wormbrandt says there's only one language on earth that, uses, that capitalizes the letter I in the middle of a sentence, and that's the English language. Isn't that a sad statement? However, that's what we see here. 
capital I, Paul, was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, lowercase i, the one that has humbled himself, lives. Yet not capital I, but Christ lives in Paul. And the life which Paul now lives, lowercase Paul, lives in this body, lowercase I, Paul, is living by the faith of the Son of God who loved him and gave himself for him. Next slide. So what does Paul say? Likewise, reckon yourselves dead, to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you know that you're supposed to reckon yourself alive? You ever thought of doing that? I'm alive in Christ Jesus. Most of us say, well, I don't feel alive. And I would say, what does feeling have to do with this? Feeling follows faith when it follows fact. You're not supposed to be subservient to feelings, emotions, and experiences. God has spoken. Take him at his word, and what you're going to find is that your feelings will align with God's truth. And you will feel alive after you believe that you're alive in Christ Jesus because his word has spoken. Next slide. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, what's your position? So if any man be in Christ, listen, he is a new creature. Fact. That's a fact. It doesn't say, uh, maybe he might be. Uh, It says he is. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Next slide. Paul is going to say, present and yield at this point. He's going to say, yield ye your members. In Romans 12, he's going to say, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Same word. And it's a hard word to translate into the Greek. I'm sorry, from the Greek into the English. Because it's like a warehouse. So imagine this is a warehouse and there's a semi. It's going, dee, 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 dee. And it's pulling up. Present means to open the doors of your life. Open it up. Receive him. But then there's all sorts of cargo on that semi. So it also means yield. Let everything that is in that semi come in and take over this warehouse. And that's what Paul's saying. If it's true that you are crucified, if it's true that you are alive, this is your first act of obedience. Because what is going to argue with God coming into your life and taking ownership? What's going to argue? Your old man. But your old man is crucified. Prove it. Prove it by opening up your life and yielding to him. Because it's like a knife through soft butter now. That which was resisting is no longer operative because you have reckoned yourself dead indeed unto sin. So now live it. Next slide. What, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. They belong to God. This body is not yours. Give it to him. I'll walk people through this individually all the time. And, I mean, it's profound because I've had people start by saying, I'm not giving my life to Jesus. That's how they start the conversation. Go, oh, okay, well, one step at a time. And then as they walk through this, like, yes, I believe that he is. Yes, I believe he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. I'm like, okay, let's take the next step. And I keep walking through this to the point where suddenly they're like, yes, I reckon myself dead indeed unto sin and alive unto Christ. Same person, right? And then the next thing you know, I get to this and they're like, take me, Lord. (laughs) I've, I've watched it. In before my very eyes so many times that when someone finally recognizes that they're richer, they have that which they need that suddenly they can begin to act as a Christian instead of just think as a Christian. Next slide. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is, what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Next slide. Neither yield, this is that present and yield word, uh, you, your members, as instruments of unrighteousness unto God, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. So if you're alive from the dead, yield. Give him your life. And your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Next slide. Uh Uh-oh, guys. We have an arrival destination. After this long journey from the cross to the grave, and now it's the grave to the sky. Lord, we lift your name on high. Okay, this is so profound. Where is Jesus taking us? He's not just taking us to the cross. He's not just taking us to a grave and leaving us there. He gives us resurrection life so that he can take us in to the throne room of grace, to the very presence of God where we can live and share and become one with our Father in heaven. He is bringing us to the Father. This is extraordinary. Okay, now, I have a little subline. I am seated in heavenly places in Christ. I'm just giving you a foreshadow. Okay, next slide. So in Ephesians 1, it is going to talk about Christ's seated position. 
And many of us are familiar with it. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us, word, who believe. Next slide. According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. So if I were to ask you where Jesus is seated right now, most of you don't have any problem believing that. He's in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. And if I were to say what's beneath his feet, like what does he have authority over? Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named and hath put all things underneath his feet. So what is he over? All things. Now what's tricky for us is when I say, and where are you in this story? And I say, what is your position? And that's a little awkward because you're like, I don't know if I should even answer that right now. You're in Christ. The Bible teaches this, not Eric Ludi. Listen. Let's go to the next slide. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us or made us alive together with Christ. By grace you were saved and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where is Jesus? He's in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. Where are you? You're in Christ seated in heavenly places? Now, I know, it's a little confusing because you're like, uh, actually, I'm in Greeley, Colorado. Uh, I'm sitting in a white chair right now. Uh, I'm not sitting in heavenly places. And you're correct. Your physical body is. But there's a spiritual man who is actually fixed in Christ. That's why Romans 8 is going to say, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You are secured in Christ. You are in him by faith. And you are where he is. And the devil can't get up there and claw you out. You are in a formidable position. Now, listen to this. This is a profound statement. Your body's here. Jesus' body is there. Your spirit man is located inside of him, and that's how you function. You know where his spirit is? It's inside of this body down here. It's called the exchange life. You give up your life, and you enter into Christ. He gives you his life, and it enters into you. And that's how we function as Christians down here and pull off the impossible. You didn't think it was you that was going to be perfect, righteous, and holy, did you? It's Christ in you that does that amazing work. All right, next slide. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Whoa! Now, how do you pray? This is how I teach my kids. How do I pray? I don't pray from down here. I pray from a seated position in the heavenly realms in Christ. That's why we say, in the name of Jesus. That's how we pray. So every time, when I, every morning with my kids, I'll say, let's declare our position, guys. And I always have one of the kids lead out. And they'll say, Jesus, I believe in you. I am in Christ by faith. Therefore, I am crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, resurrected with Christ, and have ascended to the right hand to sit in Christ and to do my praying from right there. So I'm going to pray in Christ. I'm going to pray in the name of of Jesus. That's a powerhouse position. All things are underneath his feet. Watch out world that the church were to awaken to its strength and its authority. Whoa. Next slide. Let not. Paul makes it sound so easy. Next slide. Let not sin therefore. As a result of all this guys, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. If it is true that your old man is crucified and you are raised to newness of life in Christ Jesus, then you're no longer subservient to sin. The body of sin is crucified. These are facts. The fact that the law of gravity is still in effect is also important for you to know. You're dead to it as long as you remain in the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus or the law of aerodynamics, if I'm not mixing my metaphors. If you remain in that plane, you have amazing strength. But if you step outside of it, whoo, you got some gravity and it's pulling you down real quick. You find your home in Christ. Next slide. Promises of God. This is beautiful, guys. Let's go to the next slide. You know what it says in 2 Peter? It says, according as his divine power is given unto all us all things. Sorry. According as his divine power is given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. That's a lot, by the way. Life and godliness. Life, everything you need for life, and everything you need for revealing godness in and through your life. To show godly behavior in and through your life. You have it all. Everything that has been given to us through Christ, through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Next slide. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, 
that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. So what I gave to faith earlier was a promise. God has given us exceeding great and precious promises. What should you do with those? I would say you should reckon them. So look at this next scripture, which in light of what we've taught, next slide, in light of this, you've been given promises. And what's your position? Do you guys know your position? In Christ. For all the promises of God in him are yes. And in him are amen. Under the glory of God. See, if you don't know your position, you don't know that that's yours. However, when you approach the throne of grace in Christ, the Father, as you begin to make your request known, it's like, Father, and he goes, yeah, he goes, uh, yes. And then the Holy Spirit goes, amen. They're like, I, I actually haven't even asked my request yet. So you start again, Lord, Father, in Christ, and, and he says, uh, yes. And then the Holy Spirit goes, amen. The answer's already given to Christ. It's yes and Amen. And so when you do your praying in Christ, when you stand on those promises in Christ, they are yours. Next slide. The symbol of baptism. There's two functions, typically called sacraments in the church. Whether or not we use fancy terms like that really doesn't matter. But they're sacred external symbols of faith. One is baptism. One is communion. Those two are going to reveal the gospel that we just shared, okay? Because when you are brought by Christ into the heavenly realms, Jesus himself is going to say, ask the Father for the Holy Spirit. You see, we're supposed to be in Christ. What does that afford us? Access into the heavenly realms. We're seated in heavenly places. His, his death, our death. His burial, our burial. His newness of life, our newness of life. His ascension, our ascension. His bold entry into the throne of grace, our bold entry. His seated position, our seated position. All things under his feet, we share in that authority. Whoa! Why? So that we could approach that throne of grace and receive the life of God in us. Father, I want the Holy Spirit to live in this body so that I can function on this earth the way you intended me to function. That's exciting. Baptism is a statement of being in Christ. Communion is a statement of Christ being in you. And as the church, both are expressions of our faith. We have reckoned it true. And it's not based on a feeling. It's based on promise. It's based on fact. You need to know your position in Christ. Today, we're going to see baptisms. And you might even look back and go, wow, when I was baptized, I had no idea <laughs> that I was declaring myself in Christ. It doesn't nullify your baptism, by the way. You have a genuine faith, right? Unless God's saying to you, I don't think you have a genuine faith. Well, then if God's saying that, then you want to ratify a genuine faith. Pull a faith. I need faith's last name so I can make it clear, like Faith McDougal. What's faith's last name? What is it? Latin? Latin? Boy, this is a hard name. <laughs> we need to pull a faith Latin today, afresh. Whether you're being baptized or not, if you ever go to a wedding, you know what I always encourage everyone to do if I've ever led a wedding? If you're married, you rehearse that covenant relationship that you have. You ratify it afresh. So when we're seeing the baptisms, let's ratify afresh our belief in Jesus Christ. It's not just them. It's us being edified together when we celebrate this amazing symbol. So this is a privilege of privileges for us. At Ellerslie, when we bat we do a lot of baptisms in the lake at Ellerslie. And it can be very cold this time of year, by the way. So good decision, Abe, to not be at the Ellerslie campus for this. <laughs> How, did you guys have a way of warming this up, or is that cold water too? Good. That's good for you, uh, Abe. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing quite like the feeling of death all over you. Guys, I am, I, that, that's the end of my message, but I just want to freshly say, uh, Phil, your modeling, how you've walked through the past years has been deeply encouraging to me as a pastor. Our talks and just our sharing of life has been richly meaningful to me. Your pastor's heart is very evident to me. Your sensitivity, your desire for the body of Christ to be knit together uh, and the same, uh, the same is true, you know, all around as, I, as I've seen that revealed in and through this body. I have felt such love. I've, I've gotten together with many people in this body, and I have felt such love. And that is a significant thing that you have led. And I just want to say thank you for that, because I know it hasn't been the easiest stretch.
And I just want to just commend you as a fellow pastor and say, well done. Thank you for modeling the Christ life. Thank you for loving the body. Thank you for loving members of the body that aren't directly under your care, including me, including our church, including many people in our church. That's a beautiful, beautiful statement. So thank you for that example. You guys are blessed here, and I'm very excited. You know, Larry lives across the street, and he's been praying for this building to be purchased by the right church so he could walk across the street and enjoy it. And so here, you have Larry, because of this, and so Larry, welcome. Uh, it's, it's fun having you here, and it's fun that I get to share your first Sunday here. This isn't what it's probably going to normally look like up here. But uh, thanks, guys, for allowing me to be a part of this.